right, Jeff Giles, we are here. Uh, before I start jabbering, and certainly before you start jabbering, because everybody who listens to this podcast knows you talk a lot more than I do. Um, so much jabber a, for me. That's a big lie right off the top. But um, <laughs> I want to tell uh, folks about a show that uh, our good pal Steve Lukather has coming up. Um, we're we're talking on Saturday here, so we're a week out from when this show is going to be happening, which is next Saturday, Saturday, September 9th. Uh, so for any of the weekend warriors that are listening to this, uh, you have about a week to plan. For the folks that are you know using this to you know get out of doing work starting Monday forward, um, you may have a little bit less time to plan to get to this show. But um, what you want to do is you want to get over to Los Angeles, California, to see uh, a fantastic All Star Bill at the Orpheum Theater September 9th, um, featuring performances from Ringo Starr, Stone Temple Pilots. Joe Bonamassa, Toto, Colin Hay, and Hubastank. Um, each artist playing uh, a number of songs with an all-star band. And I think that the inside information that we uh, know at this point, uh, because we're insiders, Jeff, I believe that all-star band is actually Toto. So, or some facsimile <laughs> of, but I believe I believe that Steve told us that at some point. So, yeah, that what it is. It's um, it's it's great. It's a uh, it's a benefit concert for the Ed Asner Family Center. And so um, this is a organization that Luke himself has been personally involved with. Um, just a little bit about their mission. It is an all-encompassing resource dedicated to elevating the lives of special needs individuals and their families. Um, and the center is a nonprofit co-founded uh, by the Asner family. Their mission is to be a center of acceptance and enrichment for those seeking wholeness in all attitudes of life. I almost read that as altitudes of life, which would also work. Um, our support <laughs> extends beyond the special needs individual to the entire family through a wide variety of mental health services and groundbreaking interactive programs. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a great, great night. And again, that is uh, Saturday, September 9th, the Orpheum Theater. Tickets, uh, we have again, being insiders, we've talked to uh, sources that have let us know that uh, they've let us know that there are st still tickets available. And again, that lineup is Ringo Starr, uh, Stone Temple Pilots, Joe Bonamassa, Toto, Colin Hay, and Hoobastank. And the reason I sound a little bit out of breath, Jeff, is because I'm walking as we speak to hopefully get there in time to attend the show. Um, it may take a while on foot coming from Cleveland, Ohio, but I'm going to do my damnedest to get there and check this show out. So I just wanted to tell folks uh, all this up front before we get into this particular episode. So now that we've got that out of the way, how are you, Jeff Giles? It's good to see you. Um, it's good to see you too, sir. And I'm I'm pretty good. I'm bummed because I, I will be in LA soon, but not until the day not after the show. So yeah. if you if you end up walking there and you're very tired, you can crash in my hotel the next night. Not Saturday night. You'll have to stay with Luke probably, but you can you know with me the next night. I don't even have to stay with Luke because I think it's time, you know, I can stay with like Jimmy Pardo. Like we know folks, like we've had enough That's California true. folks on this podcast. I'm sure that maybe David Wilde would let me stay in his garage. Like, you know, there's options. I'm confident that David Wilde will let you stay in his garage. His wife might be another story. Yeah. It's we'll we'll figure it out, clear though. with her. Yeah. Okay. I'm not worried. I'm not worried. I'm, you know, man, I'm stoked because um, folks that listen to this podcast on a normal basis will note that it's been about a month since we've pushed out an episode. And uh, first of all, we really are not slackers in that way. But I want to, you know, just tell people that should you find yourself in this situation again where you have to wait a month to hear something new from us, 
it's always a good time to remember that if you did not hear our previous podcast, 1991, the year that AOR ate itself, uh, there's approximately like 13 or 14 episodes that are waiting to help you That's fill true. the like whatever we have going on in that month that we're away and we're not publishing. <laughs> There's like 13 or 14 episodes just waiting, you know, for you to dig in. So I just wanted to, to give fill that the out. Void. A, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. good. That's a nice public service announcement that you're that you're offering here. I, I, that's good. It is right in the spirit of what Luke is doing with that benefit show. You're you're just, exactly you're helping. You're I'm a helping. helper. Yeah. As, as they say, like always be helping. You know, I think that's the general message. Yeah. So I'm doing my best to help. Um, you know, just before we started like recording this, I found out that you were out of beer on your side. So I had like, <laughs> you know. I had your neighbor run out to the store and pick up beer and bring it promptly over. I understand there was some sort of like fracas in the driveway, but um, we got past it. Like, you know, it's simple misunderstanding. Um, And as a result, as we're sitting here, you have beer. So it's like life is good. Thank you. Helper again. Again. What else can I say? This is is, is a beautiful day. And we get to talk about speaking with Luke, which is a momentous event for both of us. 100% 100% man you and I have like spoken to Luke a number of times separately we have never spoken to Luke together and True. uh this marks officially 100 pieces of audio that we have pushed out under the banner of the record player and so realizing that this milestone was upon us I said Jeff like we should we should make 100 something cool you know what should we do and you're like I'll get back to you on that and so about five seconds later, all of a sudden, like, there's like this, like, thought bubble, this light bulb that goes on between our two states. And it's like, we should see if we should talk. We should see if we can talk to Steve Lukather. So our our good man, our good friend, Steve Karras, uh, you know, representation to the stars that he is. Yes. He, yes, uh, yes. he made it happen. And uh, Steve, uh, Steve Karras said, you guys don't mind talking about this awesome show that uh, that that Luke has going on. We're, we're like, we would be happy to talk about this awesome show. And beyond that, Steve Karras, Luke has this great album called Bridges, which features participation from folks we love, uh, including many Toto alumni, alumni past and present. Uh, Rand, folks like Randy Goodrum, Stan Lynch. They're, you know, as always, like you and I, like all the times we've talked to Luke Luther, there's never been a shortage of things to talk with Luke about. <laughs> so this was no exception, man. You know, uh, so I was. The, the extremely... biggest problem when you're talking to Luke is is you have to worry about whether or not you can finish the question before yes. he answers it. <laughs> yes. But I, I was I was happily surprised. Like when we got done, uh, I yeah. you and I were talking. I was like, like, Luke has mellowed in his own little special way to where he'll let you finish some of the questions. <laughs> That's, that's a lot yes, right that's there. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's about it, man. I don't think we have to say a lot here other than um, this is episode 100. And man, uh, I think this is quadruple the numbers of, you know, our previous podcast that we've done together. And it's still just an awesome ongoing thrill, uh, yeah. you know, to continue to do these. And, uh, you know, we've, we've done some other things besides this Luke chat and, you know, then the universe, we just had to like find time to get together to kind of like do the setup on this Luke chat. So there's more to come is the short version. Yes. Well, with that, um, I will, uh, throw things over to our chat with Luke, but I will say one more thing as far as this, uh, uh, concert for the Ed Asner family center, um, totoofficial.com 
is where you can go and find more details about that show. And otherwise, all you have to do, dear listeners, is just simply enjoy our conversation with Luke. Shit, what's going on, boy? Hey. How's it going, man? Look at all that music behind you. Oh, yeah, it's just shit in my office. You know, probably CDs that, you know, I haven't listened to a CD in a while, but it's uh, you know, it's in there. I it's wouldn't a, have predicted that you were a CD guy at all still. So it's great to see all that music behind you. That's cool. Yeah. I said, I've had, you know, I've had this office for a long time. It just, there's all sorts of demented memorabilia. <laughs> Crazy shit. But anyway, what's going on lads? Just a uh, phenomenal to see you, man. Like I know yeah. it's, I know it's good for you to be home. It is good. Well, I'm home for a minute, man. I just basically, man, since I got home, like yesterday, I had dental surgery. I had to have a, my tooth yanked. And when they yanked it, it was a root canal issue. And then they found out that the tooth was broken off under the gum. And I had to go through major surgery. And then, oh. I think doctors are trying to kill you these days because I said I'm allergic to penicillin. And they gave me amoxicillin, which would have killed me. And then they didn't give me the pain pills. They gave me some other shit. So I finally got all that right. I'm cool. I'm just chilling for the weekend. You know, it's just all old man shit, man. Look at this. Look at this shit, man. It sucks getting old. <laughs> it does. It's it's a scam. It's beats every day above ground. Beats the alternative. We love what you've done you with your, your hair, man. Your hair is looking oh, fantastic. I just, you know what? I'll tell you the story. Yes. Man. I turned 65 last October. And I started letting this go a little bit, you know. And I told my, my oldest son, Trev, you know, a long time ago, say, hey, man, when I start to look like an idiot as the jet black hair old guy, tell me. And when I turned 65, he looked at me, he goes, Pop, it's time. It's time. <laughs> he goes, uh, Brian May, Jimmy Page, you know, come on, man. It's, it's cool. Don't worry. Let it go. Now, I hadn't seen my hair since I was 30. Yeah. I was just need you. It, it was just part of the routine. I, it's not that I was really trying that hard. I just did it for so long. It was part of the thing. It's so freeing to let it go. Fuck this shit. <laughs> I'm just it's just my, my scalp is healthier everything's healthier i don't get shit all over my hands you know it's like okay i'm gonna be 66 in october i'm not trying to hide it no more man yeah so you started looks... going great you started noticing that when you're when you were 30 and you just i started dying my hair just because i wanted to be you know to have the look you know what i mean got it okay uh, and uh i've been dying it my whole life you know so 30 some odd years and then i was a little scared to see what was underneath it because i had no idea i didn't know if it was going to be blotchy gray or what color it was and i kind of dig the white you know yeah it's fantastic it's okay it's... You know? whatever i mean who gives a shit what i look like at this point <laughs> no it's it's great man it's just like even like when you were out you know toto and journey like it was kind of salt and pepper this is like yeah, full i was skin. letting it go i was just yeah. getting fully but surely it washed out you know and then it just became this this is the actual real that's what's there i don't do anything to fantastic it. take a towel to it you know it's phenomenal, man. I don't make that. I'm not sitting there going shoot in an air something like that. Either. Well, you probably did enough of that in the '80s. You know, you you did your uh, time. You don't need to do it again. So, yes, you are correct. <laughs> so many of that. So I mean, you, oh, they tell me I had a great time. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so when are you going to start prepping for this show that you have coming up in September? Because it's a super cool I'm show. Doing all the pre-production, logistical work, picking songs. You know, who's doing what and all that sort of thing. You know, um, I just got back from Japan like a couple of weeks ago for total yeah. work for the rest of the year till next year. And I've just got this. And then I got Ringo right afterwards starting uh, November or uh, what is it? 
September 12th until the end of October. Yeah. So that'll be fun, you know. So I'm, I'm just grooving, you know, just promoting my record, which has been doing pretty good, you know, for a real good for an old guy, you know. How did you get how did this all-star kind of we'll tell people it's September 9th. It's a concert for the Ed Asner Family Center, Toto, Ringo Star, STP, yeah. and Hoobastank. So how'd this come together? Bonamassa too. Oh, Joe, yeah. Nice. Joe, I just saw it at the Hollywood Bowl. It was brilliant. He's like, all oh, these guys are my friends, man. I just call my friend Colin Hayes doing it. He's like one man show comes out with an acoustic guitar and devastates the audience, you know? Yeah. I just called a bunch of my friends and Ringo was so gracious to come out, you know, and do a few things. And the STP guys, you know, I love those. The DeLeo brothers are such great cats, man. They yeah, all I... thumbs up, you know I mean? There has been Joe. Everybody said yes without hesitation. It was so nice. because, And I'm sort of like. I'm picking up all the production costs as, and putting it all together as my contribution and everybody else is just showing up and doing my, so every cent is going to the cause. So How'd you get involved with that particular cause? Every, every dollar counts, man. You know, my yeah. son is autistic. That's how I got involved. All right. Right. My son, Bodie, he's going to be 13 in a couple of months and uh, he's been going there. It's changed in his life. It's such a positive groove there. His, uh, Ed, Ed was a friend of my dad and my grandpa and me. And his son, Matt, has three autistic kids. So we bonded over that. And they're moving to another center. It's just kids of all ages. You know, it's really a positive place. And uh, so I've, that's my, you know, because I have a vested interest, this become my charity. So any help would do, man. Well, here's, you mentioned the DeLeo brothers. And here's the thought I had. They've played on various records. But it seems like Dean and Robert, if they had come along a bit earlier, they would have been heavy session guys just like you. They're They're killer. They're just, you know, uh, you know what's interesting about Robert, you know, and probably Dean too. They they both have such great wide range of tastes, you know. I mean, like Robert's always posting stuff like Glenn Campbell or Jimmy Webb and stuff, stuff that you would never expect, you know, a really hard rock to do and to be into. But that's what makes their music so great is that they see it all, they dig it all. I didn't know Robert was such a beautiful acoustic player, and Dean is just his sounds and his playing. It's just joy in that music. I love Stone Temple Pilots, man. You know, what them great stuff, and they're great friends of mine. So I owe them a thousand. I owe everybody who's doing this for me. My son's friends with the Hoobastank boys, and they're gonna open the show. So we got like every you know 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s covered, you know. That's fantastic, man. We uh Jeff and I loved looking at the liner notes for your latest record, Bridges. Uh the name we were thrilled to see was Randy Goodrum. Yeah, Randy. Well, see, here's the thing. My whole new record was like, let's make a shameless 80s record. You know what I mean? I mean, I just, you know, I my last record was for me. I got, that was all live soul and everything. Jamming, long jams in the studio. I always wanted to do a record like that. And we did. And I scratched that itch. So after two years of sitting around my house, before we started to go out and, you know, before they took the handcuffs off and we can go back out and play live again i said a couple months off and i said you know i gotta do something you know so i called up page and joe david page and joseph williams said i called the direct company they're gonna give me some dough to make a record i said let's let's do like a shameless 80s record with the, with a big smile on her face you know and do it the old way so we sat in a room and wrote songs and those songs those demos became the master we never we just kept working that song a day and we'd get the uh you know except for the lyrics and shit like that so we, i know we got that all together afterwards so my buddy stan lynch from the heartbreakers wrote some killer lyrics with us so i can get it all done and record it and then i had one bout the only thing that 
that wasn't written especially for the new record was that ballad which hmm. i had i had a piano thing that i wrote a long time ago i never really quite finished and we didn't have anything like that in the record i said well let me go for the old school randy and i wrote i'll be over let's call randy other shit i said you know this is a nobody writes and records this kind of shit anymore you know it's a great little love song you know whatever and randy wrote me the killer lyric and i said well he's the only guy that should do it because he's so brilliant at, at writing that kind of stuff you know i had the music and the melody and he did the lyrics for me you know? yeah yeah how do you feel about that side of your I don't discography or whatever. Like, you know, it isn't particularly what you're known for necessarily, but I love those Randy collaborations. I mean, how, how does that, how do you look at that side of your, well, you know what is, there's an irony to it because I was always the guy fighting for the more hard edge stuff, you know, but then I would write the ballads and they would, yeah. since the record company ruined our credibility as a rock band, as soon as they put Georgie Borgi out and then 99 and all that's just like, we lost all cred and then rock radio turned their back on us. So it became a ballad thing. And then I'd write one going like, and then they go, that's the single. I go, no, 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 I'm going to put the other song. Yeah. You know, I'm happy to have hits and all this stuff. But, you know, at, at, at a certain point, I just said, I don't know. I'm still here after damn 47 years or whatever. 46 years is Toto. And I had a year before that when I first started out when I was 18. But, uh, yeah, I just said, I'm not ashamed of nothing. I have a lot of different sides. You know, I can listen to Slipknot and the Carpenters in the same period of 15 <laughs> I mean, I'm not a musical snob. I love all kinds of stuff. You know, I mean, I, I, maybe when you're young, yeah, this judgmental vibe. But I'm, dude, it was a hundred years ago, and I'm, I just like to make music, whatever it is. You do contain multitudes, yeah, and I'm, I'm glad that uh, you, you know, you're at peace with all that stuff. I'm just thinking more of like oh, you said, God, I'll be over you. Like, you know, you want to call me this, that? Want to put a label yacht rock? I mean, what the fuck is that? You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. Where's that? <laughs> Um, but you know, then they call the soft rock, which is worse than yacht rock. Right. You're trying to fuck with a limp dick or something like that. <laughs> Two pops and eight ball and on my way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but like you, know. you give you give Columbia I'll be over you in 86. You gotta know somewhere in the back of your mind that's going well, to be you know, a single. Here's the thing. Right. I, I I you know, back then, you know, I would if we were when we were all vying to get songs on the records you know what i mean we, we made some demos and like we sit in a room and uh, you know pick the songs that the best songs that we thought would make an album you know so i'd probably i would you know randy was a great engineer and had a studio in his house so i came up with these big uh big ass huge demos you know and so i sold the band that way you know <laughs> that was kind of fun you know what i mean you know yeah. you you know so i mean i we just it just we never talked about it. that's just what comes out we wrote a lot of songs on the seventh one the young uh, and yep. uh these chains and stuff that people yep. like, two of my like, favorites we have a thing randy and i have a thing that it just we don't discuss it it just comes out that way and i love working with him you know he used to i met him because he moved in behind my parents house in 1984 or something like that my mom goes you know there's a, i met this really nice guy over the fence he just moved <laughs> in the city with a musician and he knows who you are and and I go, what's his name? And then you're Randy. Good. I go, he's a songwriter, man. I go, so I met him. We hit it off. And he goes, let's write something. And I think one of the first things we wrote was I'll Be Over You. Wow. You know what I mean? I sat down at the piano. It's always me playing piano. So I, I, I write ballads on the piano, basically. And so we came up with that one and it was and got a hit. You know? Yeah. You uh have talked about wanting to make a, an unapologetically 80s record yeah, with this hey, album. Man, you know, nobody else is doing it. 
<laughs> I'm glad you did. And like Matt said, we were very, we were thrilled to see Goodrum's name in the credits. But how much of that was motivated by uh, Toto, you know, changing to a different chapter, so to speak? Well, I know what you're getting at, but it was never really about that. It was about I, had okay. a, I have a record deal, you know, with the mascot records who I love, and they let me do whatever I want to do. Um, and I spent all the money on the record. I didn't put in anything in my pocket, you know what I mean? Because these, yeah. are, I do these things that guys like my age now that make new records. It's the scratching, you know, a creative itch that you know. I got to write some new stuff. I have no visions of like you know being the number one artist in the world, and selling millions of records. And sadly, those days are behind most people. At right. This I have my time in the sun. I ain't mad. I'm, and then when I get to do this stuff. I didn't go back and play live, you know, play all the hits with a big smile on my face because I've done something different, you know? And, it, yeah. and the people that dig my stuff, I sell enough of them to be able to keep doing them, you know? But I got to keep doing something new so I can enjoy the old. You talk about it. playing the hits, though. Like, when you were reeling off some of those random song titles that made me think of something, you had balls, man. When you guys went out and played these shows with Journey, you guys were not doing the greatest hit sets. You you were like throwing in at times like songs like White Sister. The Journey fans, like some of those folks can have no idea what songs like that are like, but it's like you gave them the full total experience. That was really cool. Well, we tried to do that. I mean, we obviously there's the hits we got to play and we do sure. a big smile on our face, but we want, you know, when, when Neil and uh, John asked us to do this, you know, um, I said, well, I, we got an hour. Let's make the most of it. So we put together a set list and we've changed it a little bit. But man, we it's been the greatest thing in the world for us playing in front of twenty thousand people. We kill sure. them every night. It's up to the you know standing ovation screaming as we walk off. You know, it's been the great for our our visibility in the United States. And I, you know, the journey guys and us, we have a long history together. Neil sure. and I go forty five years, and Jonathan and I even longer. I mean, I knew him when I was a teenager, and now John and me, our our kids got married. Yeah, you know, my son Trev and and his beautiful daughter Madison, who I adore. Um, they're a perfect couple together, and you know, so John and I are related in some way. That's ironically not had had nothing to do with why we did the tour, but there is an irony, and I make jokes about <laughs> it. So. Uh, but uh, you know, it's been a great thing. It's a great package, actually. You know, works. You sure. know, people yeah, they dug the show. You know, so we're gonna do it again, like uh, except the shorter version. We're gonna do five weeks, and then we're off to oh, Australia, cool. New Zealand, and Europe, and South America, and more states, and. Yeah, we're throwing a couple of our own headline shows in there because those guys only work a couple days a week, and I can't sit around hotels for two, three days at a time. I want to kill myself. (laughs) I'm working or I'm home. You know, let's work. So when they have days off, we book things within a certain range, and we just travel and go do the gigs and come back, and then we do our full show. We do a couple hours, and then, you know, whatever. Toto's always been a different kind of band, though, and I think the way you guys handle that hour speaks to that. Like, Chrissy Hines doing a very similar thing with Pretenders opening for Guns N' Roses. She plays the hits, but, like, she also plays deeper stuff, and I think, you know, for the hardcore fans, they really appreciate that, but they don't necessarily think they're going to get that going to see, you know, opening for Guns N' Roses, or in your case, you guys playing with Journey. Well, here's the thing. I mean, a lot of Journey fans like us, too. Sure. I mean. I mean, and, and the ones that are on the fence that just knew the hits and stuff like that, we get to show a little bit more hard rock inside, and everybody shows the musicianship, and as well as, you know, smiling through the hits, you know, and then we pace the show accordingly, and uh, we win them over. Any, you know, it's like, you know, our fans are out there, you know, they enough to, like, for them to want us to keep doing it, because we help sell a few tickets, but at the end of the night, man, you know, every, you know, we win them over, and that's, 
that's a great feeling to walk off stage and see the the nosebleed seats holding up their you know it's like okay we did it tonight and we did that every night so i appreciate that uh the journey guys invited us on that it's been great for everybody we've been having a blast well you mentioned stan lynch and obviously he's worked with you for a long long time i wonder just as a music fan like just as a music fan like as a drummer and a singer what do you remember about kind of developing an appreciation for him back in the day before you worked with him I love Tom Petty from the start. I mean, I love the Heartbreakers. What a great band. I mean, I think Mike Campbell's an incredible guitar player's parts and sounds and tone and taste. Great. I love everybody in the band. Tom, you know, I've worked with, you know, I've done a bunch of sessions with Ben Mont and stuff. I actually really got to know Stan through Danny Korchmar, who was producing a couple, uh, co-wrote and played a couple, uh, and co-produced a couple songs on my first solo album in 1989. And Stan came in, sang some backgrounds, was hanging out, and we just hit it off. We became instant best friends because we're both psychotic and have a demented <laughs> sense of humor. And we have a story. We came up around the same time and all that stuff, you know. Uh, we have a history. Even dated some of the same girls. <laughs> <laughs> you know. It does. It does seem like you'd share a sense of humor. I laughed at that line and uh, the new record about um, what. How does it go? If you were on fire, I'd piss in my pants or something like that. Oh, I don't know. He came up with it. He did a permutation on the cliche. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's kind of like what does that make sense? It's like, <laughs> you know, we talked about it. I just said because we'd send him the track with a like la 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 melody and going with the phrasing and the and he was so great at just plugging in the lyric and god i gotta tell you something i'd send it to him the next day i had a full set of lyrics wow his gifted cat and then we go through it i didn't change much you know maybe when i started singing it and i something was a little words i changed it on the spot but it's those are stanley's lyrics man biting and hilarious i mean he knows yeah. about his life i know about his life we have a lot of parallels and things good things and bad things that have happened to us and so he could relate to it i said write me a fucking angry song you know and he did he did. He certainly did. Yeah. It's hilarious. Uh, it's funny. I, yeah. Um, I, I saw a different interview. You, you, you said uh, you didn't, you didn't know if you were going to make another solo record after this one, because it's tough to make them the way you want to. Well, because, you know, I don't like a lot of people only know how to make a record in a computer. You know what I mean? And mm. I've done it every which way you can do it. So on this, because of, cost effectiveness and the way we want to do it and the time allotted and, and me being able to get certain guys in the room. I let jo- Joseph Williams produce it because I could just be the artist. We cut, I mean, he had a yeah. studio in his house. He lives alone. He likes to tinker late at night when nobody's around. He's incredible with vocals and writing and colors and stuff and a great engineer. So, uh, you know, got him to do that, you know, and we just, him, me, him, and Paige, like the old days, like we did when we were doing the seventh one or Fahrenheit and just sit in a room and write songs, you know, only now we yeah. could come up to Pro Tools or Logic is what we were working in. And it's all, you know, there's no such thing as a demo. It'd be, the demo becomes the master. We just started adding people. Last out was all cut live. This time, you know, we just did things one at a time, basically, and invited, I invited Sklar over, you know, my buddy Jorgen Carlson on bass. I played bass and a bunch of shit. My son played uh, bass and uh, a whole bunch of guitars on the song he produced, which is the opening track, Far From Over. And he came in and I said, produce your old man. And he was great. I mean, he'd be like, no, dad, do that again. (laughs) 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 
fuck you. You go out here and do this. No, he was really cool. <laughs> and his ideas were great. I mean, he's a great producer. He's doing great shit. I'm not supposed to say this, but he's in a band with uh, Phil Collins' kid, Nick, playing drums. Oh, that's cool. They got, got a new thing together with a singer. It was insanely great. That's all I can say right now. I'm not, I'm not supposed to talk about it. But Nick's yeah, a monster. It's really good, strong stuff, man. You got to hear it. Isn't it something like you mentioned Nick Collins? That makes me think of, you know, Wolfgang. He too. He's a great guy. I'm, I, I've been a huge Phil Collins fan. I met Phil. Sure. Time. Lovely guy. All those Genesis guys is, are incredible. And I am I was a fan, like, since, you know, selling even by the pound, man. And when I was yeah. one of my Desert Island favorite albums of all time. How'd you so, get into Genesis? Same way I got into everything else. You know I mean? <laughs> I started with the Beatles, and as everything moved, you know, got progressively more difficult and and more interesting and prog rock started i was into yes and genesis came out and everything all of a sudden i love that kind of music so anybody that played that i got into it you know it was a, it was you know and i still love that music they make such this it's i love all the eras of it the peter gabriel era the phil collins i love phil solo stuff you know i love all the guys mike rutherford what a great cat you know, I mean, I you know, those guys are heroes of mine. And I've met Peter a couple of times, and he's always been such a lovely guy. And it's like, I'm not worthy and all that shit. All those guys, such great musicians, nice people. What I loved about you mentioning Nick Collins was between Nick Collins and like Wolfgang Van Halen, those are two guys that Nick, you know, you can't imagine somebody getting behind the drum kit in place of Phil. But he has fills. You don't have, you, you know, drummers. Yeah, I know that, exactly dr what you're talking about, man. I get it. You know what I mean? Sound, I mean, right? Nick's awesome. And I'm, I'm so proud. And I, I don't know proud is the right word. But, I mean, Wolf has just turned into a monster, man. He's yeah. Just, he was born, you know. But I haven't spoken to him since Ed passed. That was really tough for me because Ed's one of my very best. You know, we were really, we're so, still hurts, you know. But, you know. And then his career took off. I've been watching for far. I'm seeing Alex next week. Al and I are still. Oh, that's you know, cool. And I'm a, I'm the, I was always the biggest VH fan. And then, you know, just to see him. And then when he did the tribute to his dad, at the Taylor Hawkins thing, I said, well, there's the only guy that should be doing this. Yeah. These rumors <laughs> right. about who's going to play with me. If there was a, you know, a tribute to Satriani, even, I don't know how my name got in there, but like, I could never even attempt to try to play like eddie i'm not the right guy at all but i'm his friend so i mean i don't know that's maybe that's how that happened but it was nobody ever called me so just my name just ended up in the fucking press i'm going i called up alex and i said dude i have nothing to do he goes i know <laughs> <laughs> i go i'm not qualified for that i mean i was ed's friend I and mean, we could play together but somebody to go out there and, and actually attempt to come close to the genius yeah. Turns out his son was, has the best feel for it, and then family brought his touch, but yet he's his own. He's great. I couldn't believe what a great singer he is. Wow. Yeah, yeah. same. Uh -huh. you know, when I first heard the first time, I'm going, what the fuck? He can sing like yep. that? And he's also a really, really sweet human being, you know? And and I know it's been hard for him, you know? Just, I mean, you know, my son gets the same shit, not at that level, but, you know, it's like, hey, man, you know, the last name is the last name. You know, there's not too many Van Halens or Lukathers. I mean, those are weird yeah. last names. You know what I mean? And there's a certain, you know, unfair expectation. Like my yes. son Trap goes, you know, Pop, I love you to death, and you know, yeah, and all that stuff. But I gotta say, man, 
having the last name is really difficult because they expect me to be you. You they do or but you can be but it's just you know yeah you can get super close to being the the more famous parent but then you get crap thrown for that too you know look like uh, there's a certain thing that you know yeah he's just dna i mean just his choice of notes and the way he plays i never sat down and gave him proper guitar lessons as a matter of fact he's developed some weird little style that he has that is sometimes reminiscent of me i mean you know that which i'm very flattered and the same thing with Wolf. I mean, when he plays some of this stuff, you know, it's an homage to his dad, but he's not ripping him off. You know no, what I mean? Right. right. You know, and I'm just thinking his music's getting better and better and stronger. And I just, you know, he deserves everything that's happening. My my kid is like producing records, and that's how he's been making a love. And now we find he had a great band where the singer quit the week before the yeah. disastrous. This this clown, I like you better not run into me on the street. <laughs> Because I invested a bunch of my money. <laughs> but anyway, that's neither here nor there. This is much better and it's a much more rocking, but people are gonna hear about it, man. That's all I can say. Yeah, what I'm I was gonna we- say, I, I ran into Wolfgang here in Cleveland and he plays the Frankenstein on a track on the new record, and he did it as a way to honor his dad. And what that illustrated uh-huh. to me was that you know, you know, as a guitar player, and this is why I wanted to bring it up to you. Uh, guitarists can use a lot of pedals. And when he plays the Frankenstein on this record, it's the guitar plugged into the Marshall. That's all you need. And he's the only guy that can, outside of Edward, that can show you that that was all that was necessary for that particular guitar, that particular sound. It's amazing. Wolf's got a great touch, man. He's got a, I mean, I'm, like I said, I've been watching from afar and just digging it. Hopefully I'll run into him at some point and give him a big ass hug, but (laughs) down the road working it, man. And you know what? God bless him. Jeff, you were going to say something. I interrupted you. I was just going to say I'm glad we got into this because uh, I wondered. I, I yeah, you you kind of answered part of this, but I, I wondered if you cautioned Trev against getting into this line of work because you almost can't win. You either sound not enough like your parent or not too much like your parent. You know, you're going to piss off somebody somewhere somehow. And I feel bad for for Wolfgang. You know, uh, uh, well, you know what? he's I, he's really you know he's just going like this to the naysayers as he should. Like, sure. I mean, what do you expect? I'm just doing my thing, you know, because yeah, so happens my old man was one of the greatest in the world. I mean, that's pretty tough light to stand under you know what i mean um and but yet he's i think he's killing it yeah you know what i mean i mean i think he's handling on i mean i gotta have thick skin in this business anyway and if you're eddie van halen's son thicker skin same with my kid you know any yeah son of a musician or an actors or whatever any artist of any kind writer painter whatever if your father or mother happens to be famous and got and is really great, and you want to do the same thing, you've inevitably the comparisons will come. And most people right. are cool, but there's always an asshole that just wants to just grind you. And oh, yeah. you know, I got thick skin because I've been taking shit for 46 years since our first album came out. You know, so you know, at first it hurts, and you get over it, and you go, and then you go like this. Okay, whatever. I'm still got. A, I'm making a living all these years later. I'm honored. I'm nobody's not. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And I'm not joking. Every day, you know, I'm the luckiest man in show business. I'm not trying to be anything. You know what I mean? There's there's the, the level and sophistication of young musicians and their chops that you see on the amazing musicianship. And my whole thing is like, there's amazing musicianship, but not a lot of amazing songs. Mm-hmm. 
You know what I mean? The cats jump on. I mean, you know, where do you go if the first thing you learn how to play is eruption? You know what I mean? <laughs> so I, I first learned it. You know, and most kids, that's what they gravitate towards. Right. You know, I heard eruption. I was doing the solo on Girl Goodbye on our first album, 19 years old. And Paige comes in with the Van, first Van Halen record, puts it on the needle down on Rush, and goes, before you do the song, I want you to hear this. <laughs> and, I, you know, I heard this in my, you know, after I picked my job off the ground, I, <laughs> who is that? What is it? And how does he do that? What the fuck, you know? And then, of course, you know, I, I've heard of Van Halen. Matter of fact, my high school, one of my high school bands was me and Michael Landau. Uh, John Pierce and this kid David Levy, who was Stan Levy's son, the famous bebop drummer, and we were we auditioned for Gazaris when uh, in Hollywood when Van Halen was the headliner, and we got the gig until they found out we were sixteen, and uh, and Eddie and those guys were eighteen or nineteen, you know. So I never met him. We walked by each other probably a hundred times at Guitar Center Hollywood and didn't realize. It. And then when we became friends, you know, after that. And, you know, nobody's a bigger fan than me, you know. Well, I'm sure there's bigger fans, but I'm certainly one of them. And I love those guys. I love all of them. You know, I'm like a Switzerland, you know, I'm not. But Al and I have stayed, you know, tight. You know, he's a great friend of mine. And, you know, I cherish that. A bit of total lore. I miss Ed, man. I mean. Oh, yeah. You know, we were. He had a great time together, man. A lot of laughs, man. Did some fun things. Got to play. Uh, you know, still one of the greatest rock and roll bands of all time. You know, it'll always be that way. A bit of total lore that I became recently aware of you guys uh-huh. having to choose between being part of the Footloose soundtrack or doing Dune. I wondered what you remember about the Footloose part of that. Well, yeah, I mean, I ended up as a session guy playing on some tracks on that record, but uh, yeah, it was like Footloose, you know, and now here's got here's how it was sold to us. Uh, you want to, you know, we got this thing, well, we got this, you know, movie that's going to be like, you know, for teenagers and all this stuff. And, you know, you know, get a song in that or what came to us at the time, Bobby Kibble had just left the band because of, you know, issues. Sure. So you never lead singer, lead singer, even though Dave Page and myself always sang lead on the records. At the time we were like in the interim, you know, we had cut a bunch of tracks, which became isolation, but we didn't have a singer. I sang some of the songs that I sang and Dave sang some of the stuff, but we had that tenor voice that we needed. So we had time. We And all of a sudden it's like, hey, you want to, what do you think about this Dune, doing Dune with David Lynch? And they told us it was going to be like Star Wars 2. And uh, it was a more of an like, orchestral thing. So it wasn't a rock and roll score per se. And Paige was really off into doing it. You know what I mean? Because that was like one of his things, film composition and stuff. So, we jumped, and I and I was going David Lynch. I mean, I was the biggest David Lynch fan from like Eraserhead, you know. And so we met and we all hit it off, and um, we had that experience. And then they yanked all the funding for the film, and they didn't get to finish it. So it's like it's turned into this. Um, it's sort of like the best and worst movie of all time, or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like you know, it's so bad, it's great. But yet, if you look, I I didn't see, you know, we went to the premiere and it was like, oh, God, you know. Uh, But, you know, and David Lynch had quit and they didn't even, he didn't put his name on it and all this other stuff. But it's become sort of a cult classic now. Yeah, a lot of people love it. And after 35 years, I think, I don't know, about last year. And I went, you know, this isn't that bad. The only thing that made it look cheesy was the fake effects that they had intended to put CG before CGI. They had all this other stuff. Because remember, it's in 1984. 
So they didn't yeah. have all this computer stuff. So they had a lot of cheesy effects in there that were like place placement, you know, place markers or whatever you want to call it. And um, they never got fixed. They pulled the funding and put the film out anyway. So, I mean, you know, I look at it and go, well, it was a life experience. I don't want to, I don't, I'm not, I don't really want to be a film composer. You know what I mean? I dabbled in it had that experience. Even though that was pretty much Paige's baby, we just followed along and added stuff and wrote a few things. But orchestrally, that was Dave and his father, Marty. Who, and we were basically the band, and we wrote little pieces and stuff like that. But it was a great experience in terms of an experience. And Lynch and I are still pals because he's pals with Ringo and that old gang. Excuse me. Um. So hey, you know whatever. Footless sells ten million records. So you know, and then we're looking at each other, going, you know, what the fuck, you know. But I guess an opportunity to showcase yeah. your breadth, though, you know, at yeah. uh, at a pretty pivotal moment. So. Well, like I said, I mean, I grew up, my father and my grandfather were like movie TV people behind the camera. So like, you know, when you meet these directors and all this stuff, you know, Lynch was a groove to work with. He was great. I bet. We did some other experiences. Like we were supposed, we were up for Top Gun. We had a song. Yep. Uh, I'll Be Over You was presented for that as to be the ballad instead of Take My Breath Away. And it was between the two and uh, they went with that. And they wanted us to do Danger Zone. It's like, we don't do other people's material. What the fuck? Especially something as, you know, what we felt was a little... They just... We rewrote the freaking song. Because it was just E forever. You know what I mean? It was like, <laughs> we gave it a go. Our manager said, yeah, come on. It's going to be big. You got to do this. So after they passed on I'll Be Over You, um, they said, well, do you want to do this song? And then we did a demo for him. We re- and we made it really, you know, we changed it and we gave it our best shot. And then Georgia Moroder, who's the guy who wrote it and was, you know, the MD or whatever you call it, musical director for that film or whatever you use, yeah. supervisor and composer or whatever. They just, they, they, they heard our track and they said, you know what, man? We just want Joe, your singer, to sing it. We're going to hire some studio musicians. <laughs> we're going, really? You're not going to hire us? I mean, I thought we were <laughs> the guys, you know? Right, right, right. And they didn't like our arrangement. Then they stole the arrangement and oh put Kenny Loggins on. So it's like, we're going, you know? That was our old record company, Sony, just fucking us like they did so many times. That's a, and I you think have so Don, many stories, man. No, but Don Simpson, this is a funny part of the story. I mean, we're the guys, you know, Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer, the big producers, they come to mm-hmm. Page's studio in Sherman Oaks. And at the time, I had a red Ferrari, right? Because <laughs> I was just a punk-ass kid. <laughs> I spent money stupidly when I was 25 years old. And so did fucking Don Simpson. He was pissed off <laughs> I had one. So I don't <laughs> like, what are you mad at me for? You know, I mean, fuck, you know, I paid for it. It was just weird. Movie people and music people are very different souls. They come from a different place for the most part. Is there still another, uh, like like a second book that you're? Is that somewhere in the works? Oh, I no, hope so. I hope so. You know, I'm not. I'm not a novelist. I'm not a writer. I'm almost embarrassed that I did well because I'm not a. I, I yeah. They said oh, I was great. You know, yeah, five stars, number one on Amazon Music, and all that. Great. One and done. I got lucky. I mean, it's took me three years to do it. The original guy that was ghost riding it with me because I needed some help because I was unschooled how to do this. We did a lot of verbal interviews and 
he put together some sort of but his first draft had me sounding like a proper Englishman that grew up in like you know Manchester or something with, that went to the high end, you know, like I was some super smart, articulate Englishman. It didn't sound anything like me. So I took the whole thing and rewrote it two times so it would be funny. There was one funny. I wanted some humor in there. Uh and so I re- ended up redoing it myself in three years, and I'm not ready to do that again. Plus, I don't want to write anything negative, man. Yeah. I mean, the second, Fair enough. The book, the second half of the story is not quite as happy as the first half, and I'm just going to leave that, you know? You yeah. could just make a, a, a journal of studio dates, and I think a bunch of people would show you up know, to read funny, it. Man, I've got every year-at-a-glance date book since, like, 1976. Yeah. So what day, where I was, and all that. But I kind of went through a lot of that in my book. And, you know, I maybe someday when I get a little older and I want to stay home more or something like that, you know, there's not a lot of dough in it. I got to be honest with you. Considering the hour, you guys are writers, you know what I mean? You yes. put years and hours into this and you make fucking, you know, a little taste. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's like records. Same thing with records. You put all the money into the record and you make some publishing stuff. I pay everybody double scale like they were doing a real session and all this stuff. I take care of the guys, man. Because right. it's me scratching my creative itch, you know, and I'll make a few bucks on the publishing, man, you know, but I'm not, it's certainly not going to pay the rent for me for the rest of my life, you know, but I get to make new music and that's why I do this shit. I still love doing it, man. You know, I really do. I really, this is all I know how to do and I still love the creative process. So I'm going to hold out hope for another solo record from you at some point. Well, you know, you never ask a guy about when you're going to do your next record. When the, no, no. That's what just came out <laughs> two months ago. Whatever the fuck <laughs> um, I mean, you know, I'm sure there'll be new music down the line somehow, but there's Good. a lot of legal issues and, you know, and also financially, I mean, if, if, if you have to share the wealth with people that aren't, actually working on the record that comes from the gross and you take that and then all of a sudden you have less to work with so it's not cost effective to do it right we've all been doing each other's solo records joe's gonna start working on one next dave had one out. i put another one out so and we're all we all play on each other's stuff and co-write and play and then other musicians we bring in for flavor too but we love each other we love to work together man otherwise we wouldn't I kind of love that arrangement too between you and and, yeah. and 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 Joe and David because like nobody's songs get pushed out that way. Everybody has a chance to get their songs across. <laughs> there's, there's room for everyone. Yeah, yeah. We go in with nothing. We just meet at Joe's house, and you know somebody starts. Or if you before you go, I usually like let me. I got something here. I come up with a riff, bring in a riff or a chord change, or Paige will sit down, and start playing words or something. Fuck I go. That's great. Let's work with that. And then Joe, the three of us have a, you know, we've been working together so long. We we have a second hand in terms of we know we can almost feel each other's brain rotting when we're working together. Uh, and it just it's easy and quick. We usually have a tune, form, melody within a couple of hours tops with recorded, with overdubs. And then we go, okay, now we got to work on this and we'll write another song tomorrow. And that's what we did. We did the whole record in three weeks, super nuts. And then I had Ken uh, Ken Freeman mix it for me. And the guy that uh, John Greenham, who does like, you know, Billie Eilish and all these guys mastered, you know, so I thought, okay. And I had fun. I worked with my son and I worked with all my friends and uh, we got it done quick and it was fun. People seemed to dig it. So 
Thank you all. Well, I got to well, tell you, man. Thank you. I yeah. mean, this is the way. This is the way to do it, especially at this stage of your career. You know, I, the, the last time you and I spoke, it was uh, around the time fourteen came out, I think. And oh, wow. I know okay. there was there was legal bullshit that that you know predicated the release of oh, that record. But so, it, I mean, first off, let me just say that there's no bad blood. I had lunch with Steve Picard on page the last week. We had a blast. It was oh, that's great. So the, I mean, that I, is great. Kind of room, I, Bobby Kimball, God bless his soul, he called me the other day, and you know what he's going through. Oh yeah. So it's, you know, it's always a little, you know, I got to go slow with him, but you know, we're just telling, I love you. And he's like, going to have memories and stuff like that. You know, it's, it's, it's hard when you see a brother fading away like that, you know, it's not that uncommon. Yeah. And that's kind of, um, 10 years older than me, I'm going to be 66. So, yeah, you know, but I love Bobby and then people think that we don't like each other. Yeah. Do we ever get pissed off each other? Maybe say something in the press 20 years ago, like a brother who punches right. you in the fucking head. You know, do you, you, know, you hate your brother for a day and then you hit him a hug the next day? You know what I mean? Yeah. We don't hear these long grudges. The press loves to get a hold of this and maybe take a clickbait phrase and then try to create more angst that needs to be there. Or they misquote you and take, take something out of, you know, something out of proportion, make you look like an asshole. I just, it's hard for me to trust people at this point. So I'm just honest. And if people don't like the honesty, well, you know, and I may be wrong. It's just my opinion. There are other opinions. Yeah. But we're all cool. Those of us that are still alive are still we're, we're, we're good. And, you know, That's awesome. We grew up together since we were, I met the, you know, these guys since I was 15 years old. So come on. I love them like brothers. And that was the vibe that I felt from you going, you know, coming out of 14. Like I know I wasn't even referring to the, the other lawsuit you were talking about I I the, the label forced you guys to make that album basically but what well, came out of that different loss that was the old record company like yeah know, exactly and then, you know those guys are ridiculous they got threatened my life and shit this is unbelievable well you guys made sunshine out of shit we you know had like we had yeah, but it seemed like at, it seemed like the band was at a place of brotherhood at that moment well, and 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 it seems like that's where you're coming from now. It, it, the stuff that you're doing now, it's like you're just working with people that you enjoy working with. What, what's wrong with that? That's, with 14, that's perfect. Fourteen. I'm also real proud of that record. That's a that's should a, be a great record. record. That record. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but that was we had two choices. We could go in and throw together some jam band record and, and deliver something to get out of the contract, or I just looked at Dave and the guys. Go, let's 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 do something really really good and dig in and bring back some old faces like Dave Hungate and stuff and, you know, bring in some other people. And CJ Vanston did a great job co-producing the record with us and getting that all together. And he was a big part of that record as well. So uh, that was a fun record to do. And and it was, it got a little intense at times because, you know, when you get that many people with that many, <laughs> that many people and people's got uh, egos and they want to get their idea put across or, overdubs are made without anybody being there and you go where did that come from and you know it got a little tense a couple times but you know you know that's what happens when you're in the creative process you know it's not always easy yeah well just as i'd like to remaster that record at some Hmm. point that's a whole story for another day you know we got to do that with all of our old sony records and that was a big improvement on the, especially particular couple that really needed the first three yeah. albums dust off for sure because it was old yeah. and you know one twenty four track tape and <laughs> you know it, it ended up making it a lot better and then we it was the only time that we 
those of us that were still left on planet Earth got together with the engineers, and we were in the room with Elliot Shiner, Al Schmidt, God bless his soul, and hmm. uh, and all of us, and we listened to the first album. We did it in chronological order. So we remastered the stuff from the first album all the way, boom, boom, boom. And it was like over the course of a week, we all showed up and laughter, tears, memories. And yeah. wow, I haven't heard that. I forgot we even cut that. Wow. And we had a lot of laughs listening to it. It was very a great experience. And we made those records sound better. Uh, and we made the box set, and that was that. You know, we put some new stuff in it and onward. But uh, I'm not so sure we're going to be able to do that anymore. Uh, but hey, you know, never know what's going to happen tomorrow. I've made the mistake of saying I'll never, and then the next thing. <laughs> As a music fan, man, you put uh, the James Gang your album across our desk, and I wondered how did you come across that record? Nineteen sixty-nine, when I was a kid in the neighborhood, all of our neighborhood buddies, me, Mike Landau, John Pierce, and a lot of cats. Before I met the Picarbos, this would have been like you know, like I said, just going into seventh grade or something. And a friend of ours, dad, used to work in the record business sort of like as a, you know, just actually physically taking the records to stores and stuff. And he'd get the cutout records. Like, there's a new album, and there's a promotional copy. And one guy's dad gave it to a friend of ours, John Brewer. And it was James Gang, your album. And we put this thing on it, and we thought we had discovered the greatest new thing that nobody was hit to yet. Because it's one of the greatest albums. I mean, it really inspired me as a young man. And it's funny. I went to Joe Walsh's 70th birthday party a few years back. And Bill Zimzik was there, who was producer of the record, and also did all those great records, The Eagles and all that other stuff. But, I mean, I got, I said to him, yeah, everybody's asking about Hotel California and all of us. I, two albums, <laughs> I, the two albums I wanted to talk to Bill Zimzik about was your album and Barnstorm, <laughs> which are yeah. two of the most... I love rides again and all that stuff and you know and three thirds and all those other records, but the first record it just had some mad. They were way ahead of their time. The songs were great. Walsh was incredible. He became my favorite guitar player, and, and I just loved the way he wrote. And I, I obviously I've gotten to uh, not obviously, but I, I've run into Jim Fox, you know, and then talked about it. And but Bill Zimzik was great because I asked him all these technical shit. He goes, "Wow, you really did listen to those records." listen to it like how about every day for years it was right, always one of the records we go to first when we were hanging out and you know i don't know how many people are really hip to that album but if you get a chance and you like joe walsh you like the james gang you like all that check out your album because there's some great stuff on there is it bonkers to you that after that record joe goes to the band i don't think i'm the right lead singer well, I don't remember hearing that, but he's the, the only person that could sing that. I love Joe. <laughs> I mean, as much as I love his playing, you know, his his voice and his songwriting is just yeah. You know, his keyboard playing. I mean, I, I I sat down at the keyboards and learned how to be a better keyboard player, learning those songs. You know, take a look around and you know all the stuff. You know, that my mother won a piano on the Hollywood Squares when I was eleven. Man, if you can imagine that. Wow. You know, Charlie Weaver to Block. <laughs> the spinet piano arrives at the house, and I've already been playing guitar. Nobody, my sister, they, they tried to make my sister take a piano lesson. She hated it. So 
this little thing ended up in my room and I started dicking around with it. And then I ended up taking piano classes. I went through a voracious period of time where I was studying music in every way, you know, taking piano classes, harmony theory, jazz improvisation, private guitar lessons, orchestration and arrangement, you know, and playing every gig I could in town, learning how to get it together. I stuck three years of studies, 10 years worth of studies into three years. And then I started doing demo sessions and got invited to start doing real shit. And I never looked back. I was 17, 18 years old. 19 is when it really started to happen for me. And that's when we started, did our first demos with Toto in January 1977. Then we did the Boss Gags tour, got offered a record deal, and we're in the studio October 77. And I started doing a lot of sessions, thanks to Jeff, Dave, David Foster, and Graydon, and Rittenauer, and all, you know, the, all the guys, the great studio guitar players at the time became friends. And they would they were moving on to be artists. And there was a hole to, for a new guy to come, and I got to get in there, man. And by the luck, by the grace of God, right place, right time, you know. I want to go back for a minute to seventh grade, Luke, because you described something that millions of people have experienced. You know, you're 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 a kind of a budding player in your own right. You put on a record, the heavens open, and then. Uh, for, for most people, that's where it ends. But you ultimately, you know, you get to rub shoulders with this guy. So, do you remember the first time you met Joe, and and you know what that was like for you? Oh well, yeah, meeting Joe. You, know, you have to understand, we were so into what Joe was doing. You know, from yeah. every, your album all the way transitioning to his solo first few solo albums. Well, I mean, we lived and breathed those records, learned every song, you know, every solo. I mean, it was it was a there's a lot of lessons in that stuff. There's a lot of great things to learn from that. And, you know, we'd play them in our bands and stuff like that. But we cut school to get tickets to go see Walsh at the Roxy in L.A. And then we'd cut school again and be standing in line at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> first row. You know, to, you know, and I remember talking to Joe Vitale once. And I said, you remember those kids? I don't know if you remember this when you were playing the Roxy back in, like, you know, whatever it was, 73 or something like that. It was right after Smoke of Your Drink came out with Rocky mm. Mountain Ray and all this stuff, and they were touring, and you know they were playing at the Roxy. We got there, and we—I was—I could have touched Joe's pedals, you know, but he didn't know me. I was just a zit-faced little kid staring at him, his biggest fan. Edit till like the first time we actually worked together, we weren't in the same room. It was on Don Henley's first album, Dirty Laundry mm. track. And I was just like, and Don asked asked me to play the solo at the end. He said Joe was doing the one in the middle. I said I can't believe I'm going to be on a track. Walsh, this is the greatest thing. In the world. Yeah, we met after that. We did, some, and, and then we became kind of friendly, man. You know, party buddies. It was headier times back then, you know, and all that. And we played on some stuff together. We did a, we played live together on New Year's Eve '83 and '84. And then, you know, we'd see each other around and stuff like that. And I'm, you know, and now, I mean, when I joined Ringo's band, I mean, he's Ringo's brother-in-law. And I revere the kit, man. You know, I've done, like, in my last album, I did a version of Welcome to the Club. Yep. You know, you know, a real homage to Joe. You know, I've always done Joe songs on my solo records. You know, I've done Bluebird, which I stole from the Beer album record, you know. I said, well, I'm going to do this. Let's do the full homage to Joe. I don't know if he's ever heard. Also, Steven, <laughs> Stills, Steven Stills wrote the song, and I'm a big Stills fan. You know, I always loved all that stuff, you know. And, you know, he dug it. I sent it to him, I, you know, and he writes back. He goes, 
99.99 because nothing's 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent i don't know you know i'm a big fan you know sometimes i don't know if i annoy him or not sometimes because i'm ringo's buddy and i'm in the band you know it's like yeah but he but he's always been really cool to me you know i, I you know i i think the world of him and one of the greatest musicians i've big huge influence for me first albums are important i think you hear the source material of where they're coming from and it's like so there's a really interesting drummer there's a really interesting guitar player the bass player what he's doing like like you hear like those nine minutes of jamming on lost woman for example like how can you not just be enthralled by that well, yeah, I mean, the great thing was there was a power trio, and the way Jimmy Fox played drums, he had this almost Keith Moon kind of always something rhythmical happening, but a little bit more restrained than, like, say, the wildness of Keith. Uh, Jim just had a great, unique drum style to fill that out, and it just it, one of the great power trios of all time, you know what I mean? And the choice of material and all that, it was really cool stuff, you know. I'm, I'm going to go back and listen to that album today, see? There was some, <laughs> there was something that I wondered about, Steve, and that just is uh, the James Gang. There's this period leading up to this record where they go from being a five-piece to being a trio, and I've spoken with Jimmy about what a pivotal moment that was for them. They lost their fourth member as they're driving to Detroit to open for Cream, and they decide to do the gig anyway because they need the money so bad. I wondered, like, what do you remember about the first time that you encountered something like that, a moment in your career that ends up being so important in the long run? Hmm, there's a lot of them, but if you're talking about early on, it's just weird how you meet people. You go, how did I meet this? Was I supposed to meet? Was this predestined or something? Or was I... I it, it, all these things happen organically, so like, I can't really give you an instance where it's like, oh, well, that was the magical moment. You know what I mean? I've had so many of those I can't believe I'm in the same room with these cats moments in my career. You know what I mean? When, especially when I first started out. Sure. Um, you know, being in the room with heroes is never gets old. You're you know, right though. There's a lot of moments. I, I found myself going, looking around the room going, man, am I really here? You, know? you must've done something right. Yeah. All right. I don't uh, remember having oral sex with anybody to have to get the key. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I did. I make jokes, but uh, no, I mean, you know, listen, I can't believe how fast time has gone by, you know, but then again, has it? It's all, you know, I've been doing this legit since my very first union session at Studio Three at Western, where they cut pet sounds and I had filling out forms and my trunks were in the hallway along with Jay Grade and all these guys who I didn't really know yet. And those are the guys I wanted to be, you know? Yeah, yeah. Before Toto. So my first thing was like 1976. You know, I was 18 years old. And that was the first time I did a legit session. I was doing lots of demo sessions, you know, 20 bucks a tune, 25 bucks a tune for songwriters because there was no demos. That, you know, I mean, there was no machines at home studios. You had to go. So it was like being in uh, minor leagues in baseball, you know? You get to play in the minor leagues, and you know somebody gets a record deal, and they dig what you play. They invite you to play, and then that's how I got in. Then I met everybody, and thanks to the Jeff Picaro, David Page, David Foster, and all the great studio guitar players of the seventies that helped me out, I owe them my life. You know, isn't it interesting, like how much you guys were almost as players in the studios back then, chess pieces in the game? Because like I think about like Peg, for example, it was supposed to be. Don Henley on the background vocals, it ends up being Michael. 
You know, like there's all these things that happen. I didn't that, know that. I didn't know handling oh, yeah. was up that. You know, Michael was already a solid. See, when I was in high school, Jeff was in Steely Dan. And sure. Jeff met Michael McDonald doing a casual like at a bowling alley. And Jeff got Michael into Steely Dan to, as a singer and a keyboard player. And at one point during our first, when we were first putting the first album together, he Michael was asked to be the singer in our band. And he had just joined the Doobie Brothers like the week before and cut taken into the streets. So he says, man, I would love to, but I can't. Now, it would have been a very different band if Michael McDonald would have been our singer and that element would have been in there. But it worked out great for him. It worked out great for us. Everybody wins. You know, I got to work with Michael. I played on his first solo album. And we we did a tour together, and I think the world of him. And he sang on our stuff. I played on his. It's like we all came up around the same time. You know, they're a little older than me, but yeah, we've all been, you know, it's not the people that are still standing. We met a long time ago. We were basically, you know, just out of teenager them yeah the story real quick as far as peg i talked to gary katz who of course did all those records and basically they had henley in the studio and you know from the perspective of becker and fagan it wasn't working so gary says he was the guy that like ended up having to go out there and quote unquote fire henley so yep, and you can't was- you can't imagine peg without without michael but there was that little prehistory so there's all sorts of fascinating things Don like Henley's that in the industry. Great, you know, I mean, Don Henley's got to be one of the greatest. Absolutely. Killer singers of all time. The writers. I mean, his voice hits me hard, man. I mean, and I've had the honor of working with, with him. And he, and we're still friends. I still hear from Don, you know what I mean? Um, what can I say? I, I can't imagine that song with Henley on it because I never knew that was a possibility. But it makes sense yeah. that they ask him. Because, you know, Irving Azoff managed both the Eagles and Steely Dan at that time. So, I, you know, I don't, I, Michael was obviously a great call. And then now that's permanently tattooed to our brains, you know. Absolutely. Let's bring it back around to this show that you're doing here in September. Um, it sounds like it's going to be kind of a cool just cross-pollination of things. Like, will you get to jam with the STP guys? Is that on the table? Probably not them. I'm going to play with Joe Bonamassa. And, nice. and you know, we're going to do, a, uh, you know, everybody's doing about 15 plus minutes because it's a, it's a charity, you know I mean? Everybody got to get, it's an eclectic roster of, of music and we're Toto's basically the house band. I mean, you know, it's a little different version because the other guys are out on the road. So Bissonette's going to play with us and he's already been on the road with us. He's family, Greg Bissonette. Wow. Cool. And, uh, and he's going to, we're going to do, uh, you know, the Ringo stuff together and he's going to play with Toto and we'll do like a couple of our hits. And then there's an autistic drummer named Logan Shepard. Who's a badass. And he, I said, and they wanted him, you know, him to play just to show, Hey, autism. You can, this is, where you can go with it and this is a grown kid who's kind of lived through it and gotten much more uh, what's the word i'm looking for he doesn't seem autistic anymore you know he's sure. got a whole but he's matured out of it and now he's on the road playing and he's badass he picked jake to the bone one of our weird fusions wow yeah, so yeah. Said, okay man if you're gonna do that so we'll play two hits and a weird song with a with a <laughs> autistic friend um and then you know uh stp is going to do a set bonamassa will do some stuff and i love him i just saw him at the hollywood bowl it was spectacular with an orchestra he's one of my one of the best guitar players ever and, and a great friend 
and uh you know colin hayes gonna do his one man acoustic bit you know and uh it's gonna be a great night it's gonna be fun a couple surprises you never know who's gonna show up you Ooh. know yeah bonamassa i think it was frampton who told him that like he's like you know more about my gear than i do like i love hearing joe <laughs> talk about gear with you know whether it's you or whoever like he just he loves the gear stuff here are you kidding me he's the he's my go-to guy i mean you know, <laughs> in terms of if i have any questions about stuff you know he, he like on my 59 burst that i have uh i had put on grovers or something like that um, when i first got it because they stay in tune better but it fucked with the vintageness of it you know so he gave me the pegs the tuning pegs that from a 59 less ball to put back on my guitar to you know retain its you know to full value and i got a um uh what do you call it uh appraised for lots it's got a lot of history too you know so i mean i, I have a very valuable guitar that i have I don't have it on me. It's not in my warehouse. It's hidden somewhere. I'm not going to tell you where, but, um, you know, I bought the thing for four grand, which was a lot of money in 1979. And it's worth a gazillion. Wow. You know, it's good. But I'm not, but Joe's a collector. You open up the front door of his house. It smells like an old Les Paul case, you know, <laughs> Mark. I mean, that's his thing. I mean, he's talked about, it. I'm not going to talk for Joe. I have no right to do that, but I just know that that's his hobby. That's his passion. Like he could tell you the screws that are in the nut of the, you know, I mean, he's just, he just knows. And that's his hobby. And he invests his money in that instead of drugs, like we did back in the old. <laughs> like, you know, you're going to get a lot more out of that than we did. You know, the dumb shit we did when we were young. It's, I wish I didn't, but, you know, it's such as life. You know? <laughs> do you still buy guitars? No. Why would I do? I mean, you know, I bought them. <laughs> I've, I've been with Music Man guitars for 30 years. My new uh, L4 is coming. The fourth version of my guitar is coming out after 30 years. So, I mean, it's an incredible hybrid for me. It's a perfect guitar for me because it's a crossbreed between a Les Paul and a Strat. And I, everything I need is right there. They're beautifully handmade guitars, man. And they sound great. We keep They keep upgrading them better and better. And I just love them. You know, I, mean, I don't need to bring any other guitars and I love my guitars, and I'm proud to play them. Well, thanks for taking time to do this, man. We love talking tunes with you. Yeah. And gear and everything Looking else. forward to this. We could go on and on and on, but, you know, you got enough out of me. I don't know what you're going to get out of this, but, hey, nice to hang with you. Always, man. It's always a good Likewise. Hang. Yes, absolutely. Well, thanks, man. Try. I, you know, I hope I didn't sound like a dick, you know? <laughs> nope. Not at all. I have a tendency to go, blah, 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 blah. It's like somebody's... No. <laughs> All right. Well, God bless you guys. Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate your time. Absolutely, Thanks, man. Too. We'll let you run, but have a good one. I, I will see you somewhere. Find me if I get near you. Come out and hang out. We'll do. Absolutely. All we'll right, do guys. It, man. Take Thanks care. Thanks for having me, man. Have a great day. You too. You Bye-bye. Too. Bye.